don't know. Don't ask me. I don't want to know. What I do know is that there is a good chance I'm going to stop live broadcasting to Facebook if they don't straighten this crap out. I have no idea what's going on. I'm not live on Facebook tonight. I'm on Twitch. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Rumble.com. You can check out the show there, and I hope you are. Luna Amethyst, hello. Welcome in. Good to see you. Sorry my appearances have been spotty. Not at all. Different time zones and all. Yeah, really. Anyway, hi. Good to have you in. Marijuana. Yeah, we're going to chit-chat a little bit about marijuana tonight. The business of getting married and the robots are coming for you. I got that. I got lots more tonight. I'm Jay Sheldon. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Happy Wednesday. We're halfway through the week here in Malaysia. Our day's over. It's 10 o'clock at night and we're pretty much cooked. We're ready for the slide on into the weekend over in the U.S. I know you're just beginning your day, so uh, good luck. It was a nice day today. Not too bad. Um, overall, we've had a, uh, an interesting week so far, actually. Right now, let's get a quick update on our favorite furry friend. Miko update. Oh, yeah. The Miko update. <sighs> She's overall okay, but today she started again with that stomach thing. Ah, she didn't eat all day. She ate a very little bit of kibbles tonight. She did some loose stuff out of both ends, I guess is the proper way to say it in polite society. But uh, she's hanging out downstairs right now, and she seems a little bit better tonight. She's got a little more energy. She had a very slow walk uh, tonight. Because she just she didn't eat all day, so she was just kind of blue. So if you're so inclined, say a prayer, and she'll be fine. She always is. She always pulls through. But uh, yeah, she's uh, she's hanging out, and yeah, she's doing okay. She's all right. Anyway, there you go. That's our Miko update. It's a quick one tonight. Uh, what else we got going on? Um, yeah, marijuana. Uh, no, by the way, we're not smoking it on the show tonight. Okay. I may be crazy, but I'm not that crazy. <laughs> Actually, I have no problem with marijuana. You want to smoke marijuana? Smoke marijuana. It doesn't matter to me. It's not a drug. It's a. It's an herb. It's a weed, so to speak. Uh, it's not harmful. Doesn't do you. And it does. Don't give me this bull crap. It leads to harder drugs and all that other bull stuff. It's crap. It's just garbage that the governments have put together to try and scare you. It happened back in the 50s and 60s, and, and it worked. Everybody believed it, just like something else that happened in the last couple of years where there were a bunch of bullcrap lies, anti-science crap that went out there, and everybody just went, oh, yeah, feed me some more. Mm, I want to believe you. So anyway, yeah, there you go. I <laughs> The whole reason I wanted to talk about pot tonight, marijuana, is because of a story that showed up in uh, on Buzz, uh, World of Buzz. We love World of Buzz. We used a lot of their stuff. We always give them a hat tip and say thank you. And uh, we encourage you to click on our links. Everything we talk about tonight is in our show notes. The links to the articles, they are down there in the description. So you can click 
even if you want to click while you're watching the show, if I'm not mistaken, I have it set up so that it will open in a new window. So, you know, unless you're watching on your phone or something, then I don't know what's going to happen. But anyway, uh, this is a story out of Thailand where marijuana is now for all intents legal. You can grow it in your home. You can smoke it. Nobody cares. And this Thai lady is very happy with the success of selling cannabis plants after Thailand legalizes marijuana. Finally, Thailand uh, got into the, you know, 21st, beginning of the 21st century, and uh, recently uh, legalized uh, marijuana. They officially legalized smoking and planting cannabis at home and removed it from their list of illicit drugs. And now their citizens, Thai citizens, who have taken advantage of this, are enjoying uh, both smoking marijuana and, and here's the key thing, if you governments are listening at all and you have half a brain, enjoying the profits from their decisions. You do what they did in the U.S. in so many, so many states. Now, it's a state-by-state thing in the U.S. Some states, it's completely legal. Other states, it's just not really enforced. It's like a traffic ticket. Other states, if I'm not mistaken, there are a few, not many, but a few where it's still illegal. But in some states, not only have they legalized it, they tax it. Cha-ching! Hello, governments! Cha-ching! Another source of tax income. I know how much you love that. Anyway, based on a report by the Tiger, T-H-A-I-G-E-R, uh, 53-year-old Kam Phai, I'm sure I'm saying her name wrong, uh, she is thriving from selling cannabis trees as she can be seen pushing a trolley full of the, uh, plants at Suapan Market. Uh, every day she's out there selling them. There's a picture of her. She revealed her happiness to be turning in huge profits. She has sold from 100 to 200 cannabis plants, and she gets around 150 to 180 baht. That's not very much, actually, in ringgit, our Malaysian currency here. That's about between 19 and 22 ringgit for a plant. It depends on the size, how much she charges. Uh, she's quoted here as saying, I obtained supplies of cannabis plants from the Buriram province in northeastern Thailand before bringing them to Angtong for sale. Um, I was quite surprised by the response from people who were buying more and more cannabis trees to be planted in their homes, she shared. Uh, that is a picture of her with her cannabis trees on her little trolley at the market. And she's having a huge success with this, raking in an average of a thousand baht a day. That's about 125 ringgit. Uh, Kampai added that the profits of the business have allowed her to enjoy a more comfortable life compared to what she endured during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, it doesn't sound like 125 ringgit a day is very much, but... The minimum daily wage in Thailand is 650 baht. That's the minimum daily wage. It's about 81 ringgit. 
Now in USD, I think we're about four and a half to one. So that's like what, 20 bucks a day? That ain't very much. And if the average, the minimum is, is 81 ringgit a day or 650 baht, and this lady's bringing in about a thousand baht a day. So she's doing much better than the minimum. Fantastic. So again, you know, again, here in Malaysia, we actually have people who are sitting on death row because of this, because of, of growing and selling whatever uh, cannabis. There are people scheduled now. Thankfully, I've been told we have a moratorium on the idiotic death penalty. And hopefully they are looking to get rid of the mandatory death penalty, please. And hopefully one day after that, get rid of the death penalty entirely. I am a strong opponent of the death penalty. I do not believe the government has any business taking anyone's life for any reason. I've said it a thousand times. I have always said it my whole life, and I will continue to say it till the day I die. Full stop. No death penalty ever for anything. Don't give me the arguments. I don't want to hear them. Yes, my answer is no death penalty for whatever you can come up with. And stupidly enough, we actually have people sitting on death row in this country because of doing exactly what this lady's making a thousand baht a day doing in Thailand, just across the border. One day, one day, hopefully people will wake up. I wanted to show you, by the way, I did a quick search. Take a look at this. This is a graphic from uh, Imgur. Where in the world is marijuana legal? It's a little tiny on the screen. I don't know if you can see it, but basically uh, the deepest uh, green, which is my mouse working here? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, the deepest green, which is here. Uh, I don't know where in uh, South America that is. Uh, South Africa. This is legal in some form or another. There's another one here. Uh, decriminalized is the lime green color. So you can see even uh, China. Uh, again, my geography sucks. Mexico, Mexico, that's funny. Uh, Greenland and most of the rest of South America. Uh, inconsistently enforced is uh, this, this color here, like in the center of Africa and India, uh, Canada. It's labeled as inconsistently enforced. That means, you know, some do, some don't. You know, if the cop had a bad day, maybe you're going to get a ticket or get arrested. And uh, illegal or no data is in gray. Isn't that funny? Look at Australia. Some of it is uh, illegal. Some of it is decriminalized. And one area is inconsistently enforced. Very cool. But there's a lot. Look at this. Russia, uh, China, I'm sorry, China actually is uh, illegal. Russia is decriminalized. I didn't realize that. Now, the U.S. is different because every state can create its own laws. You know, like uh, abortion, every state can create their own laws. The people get to vote on it, and then you either make it legal or illegal or some level of that. But yeah, that's it's quite cool. And uh, more and more people are waking up and realizing that marijuana isn't harmful, doesn't lead to other drugs. It's not a gateway drug. So stop with your bull crap. That's not true. Stop lying to people. Okay. Okay. 
All right, so there you go. Cool Thai lady. I think I want to go visit her. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Hang on. Coffee break time. Mmm. Hey, don't forget Miko merch from the Jay Sheldon Show. It's the top link in our show notes down there. Check it out. Click on the link. Go over. Take a look at all of our different coffee mugs, T-shirts, ball caps, hoodies. we got stickers. I got a little uh, dog uh, collar is there. Yeah, there's a new one. It's a dog uh, bandana. So check that out. It's got all of our show logo. And most of it has Miko on it, too. So you can uh, you can wear Miko with pride. <clears throat> all right. So we talked about the business of selling pot. How about the business of selling your wedding? Yeah. Um, when I was growing up, weddings were a time of celebration. They were things that you invited your friends. Now, again, this is the U.S. This is not Asia. And I understand Asia is different. Everything's a business here. Everything is what can I make money from? In the U.S., you invite your loved friends to your wedding to celebrate your special day, to celebrate your love. Whatever and whoever you're marrying, you invite your friends that you want to be with you to witness a moment in your life to celebrate love. It has nothing, zero, kosong, zilch, zip, nothing to do with money. If you didn't know, if, by the way, our audience in the U.S. is growing by leaps and bounds. I've got hundreds and hundreds of people who check out our podcast and our live show or watch the video later. So uh, that's why I'm talking quite a bit to not just my U.S. audience, but several Western countries who check out our show and our podcast, but also to our Asian audience. I can't speak for other Asian countries because I live in Malaysia. I've lived here for 20 years now. But there's a debate going on. Again, this is an article from World of Buzz. The link is in our show notes. Malaysians spark debate on treating weddings as transactions after complaining about Ung Pao money. An Ung Pao, if you don't know, is this, this picture here. It's a red envelope, and it is a way of giving money to people. Uh, Chinese New Year... They traditionally hand out Ang Pao's to unmarried kids get it mostly. Um, so married people are supposed to give it to the unmarried people. And, uh, you know, parents will give it to the kids, things like that. That's what an Ang Pao is. So when you get invited to a wedding here, it has, believe me, I'm just going to say this and you're going to argue with me and you're going to be wrong. It has nothing to do with what I said before about wanting your friends to be there to celebrate your love and your nuptials and your wedding and your meeting and joining together with the love of your life. It's just about the money. That's all it's about. That's all anybody here cares about. It's got nothing to do with your friends celebrating, meeting and marrying the love of your life. One of the signs we're getting older is the increasing number of wedding invitations. You know, they even call these the red bombs. Because when you get one, it's like, pum, pum, pum. You know that's about to happen. It is always best to give an ung pao to newlyweds to help them 
kickstart their life. And recently, a netizen shared their experience in a Facebook group called KL Blowwater Station. (laughs) Anyway, this is the post. It's in Chinese, but there's a translation here. In the post, they wrote, My cousin's wedding banquet table cost 2,200 ringgit. And that doesn't include the drinks. Holy crap. Many of the guests who came only gave about 150 to 180 ringgit. (laughs) Now get this quote. And remember, this is somebody you invited to share in your special day. Everything is expensive now, quoting. If you can't give an ang pao of more than 300 bucks, don't accept wedding invitations from others and don't cause them to lose money. Yeah, because we didn't invite you because you're our friends and we love you and we want you to share in our love. We only invited you for the cash. That's all we care about is the cash. Just give us the cash. In fact, you know what? You don't even have to come. Don't even show up if you don't want to. But by God, you better send that cash. Send it over because that's all we really care about. You know what? It's your culture. Fine. Knock yourselves out. You do you. To me, it's, a, it's just embarrassing. Your wedding day is supposed to be a day of celebration and love, not a day of ringing in the cash. Here, it's what it is. Call it what it is, my friends. It's a day of none of this, this little celebration. It's all about this, the red bombs. People make tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars on their weddings. No, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to leave that alone. Okay. Uh, I was going to relate a story to you, but I think I'll save that for another lifetime. Mm, Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Let me know. Let me know in the comments below. Type a comment if you want. Should weddings be about making money or celebrating love? And don't say both, because when you concentrate that much on money, that's that's all you care about. You don't give a crap about the love part. You just want the cash. Just admit it. I'll respect you more if you just admit it. All right. You may not have to worry about getting married because you may not be alive when Skynet becomes a reality. Take a look at this video. Again, if you're on the podcast uh, listening to the audio, Either click the link or check out the video of our show, and uh, it's about as scary as it gets. These are Unitree Go Dog Robot Factory. You see this here? Yeah, this is the, all of these, every single one of these things are these Go Dog Robots. You see the person up here? So you can tell about this. It's about the size of a medium to large sized dog. Okay, they're putting them through their paces. Now, I'm going to play this one time and then I'll pause it and I'll play it again. Take a look. This is really actually pretty cool when you first check it out. Take a look at this. Look at this. See that? They're all going through their paces here. How cool is that? They're all perfectly synchronized. There are, I don't know, what is there? 60, 70, 80 of these things? This is insane. 
absolutely insane. Look at that. Now, now I want you to imagine something. These things are programmed. They're autonomous, but they are programmed for where they go, how they work in unison. Take one of these suckers. Strap a gun on top of it with targeting computers and software and send those things out into battle or out into the field. Can you imagine seeing these things coming at you and they've got some railgun mounted to the top of them and they're after you? Look at it. Look at these things. It's insane. Absolutely insane. Imagine every one of these things has got to be I don't know, I'm just guessing maybe 50, 60, 80 of these things. And every one of them with a railgun mounted on top, hunting you down. Imagine those things going in the face of your enemy. They don't care. They get shot down, there'll be another wave of them right behind. This is some scary stuff, folks. I'm telling you, it is next level weird. Weird. And if you think the military doesn't have their eye on this stuff or maybe already developed, likely, already developed something like this. You need to come out of the cave you're living in. No doubt this stuff is next level. It likely won't be long before you actually see it. Scary, scary stuff. Hey, more good news this week. This just came out uh, two days ago. Malaysia made it to number one again. I'm so proud, so proud of my fellow Malaysian citizens. We've done it again. And wow, you know, I wish there was some kind of an award or a statuette or something, you know, like an Oscar kind of thing. But uh, yeah, we did it again. The Wall Street Journal, Malaysia ranked numero uno, number satu. Most corrupt country in the world for doing business. Congratulations. Percentage of companies that say a competitor's bribery has cost them business in the last year. One of the lowest, Japan. And then in order of magnitude, Singapore, Hong Kong, South Korea, Philippines, Germany, China, U.S. Wow, I'm surprised the U.S. so far up the line. India, Indonesia, and number one, Malaysia. Once again, congratulations. Lovely. Something to be proud of, huh? All right. Uh, I got one more for you, and it's a very cool story, and it includes kind of a personal angle. I've told the story before, but I doubt you heard it because it was many, many streams ago, like months and months and months ago. Uh, this is actually just is pretty much words on a page, but I do want to start by showing you a picture of who the words are about. If you don't know who this handsome gentleman is with the baby blue eyes, this is Paul Newman. Paul Newman was a, an amazing actor, a race car driver, a entrepreneur. He has his own brand of salad dressings and other food products, very successful. 
yeah, that is the amazing Paul Newman. But the story is something beyond that and something I can relate to. So bear with me while I share with you this woman's story who posted in a site called Weird and Amazing Things. The link's in our show notes. Only women of a certain era will appreciate this. True story. A Michigan woman and her family vacationing in a small New England town. I'm guessing it might have been Northwest Connecticut, which is where I'm from, where Paul Newman and his family often visited. One Sunday morning, the woman got up early to take a walk. After a brisk five-mile hike, she decided to treat herself to a double-dip chocolate ice cream cone. She hopped in the car, drove to the center of the village, and went straight to the combination bakery ice cream parlor. There was only one other patron in the store, and that was Paul Newman, sitting at the counter, having a donut and a coffee. The woman's heart skipped a beat. As her eyes made contact with the famous baby blue eyes, the actor nodded graciously and the star-struck woman smiled demurely. Pull yourself together, she chides herself. You're a happily married woman with three children. You're 45 years old, not a teenager. Well, the clerk filled her order. She took the double-dipped chocolate ice cream cone in one hand and her change in the other. And then she went out the door avoiding even a glance in Paul Newman's direction. When she reached her car, she realized she had a handful of change, but the other hand was empty. Where's my ice cream cone? Did I leave it in the store? So back into the shop she went, expecting to see the cone still in the clerk's hand, or in a holder on the counter, or something. But no ice cream cone was in sight. With that, she happened to look over at Paul Newman. His face broke into his familiar, warm, friendly grin. And he said to the woman, You put it in your purse. (laughs) (laughs) True story. And a great story. And uh, again, just very quickly, my own personal Paul Newman story. He, uh, I grew up in Cornwall, Connecticut, and just a few towns uh, kind of to the northwest is Lime Rock, Connecticut. Lime Rock is home to a very famous racetrack, and Paul Newman regularly raced at Lime Rock. So he would, that's like why I said this story is probably takes place in, um, in one of the towns in my hometown. So, I was working my first job ever at Utzler's Country Store, a little three-aisle grocery store in West Cornwall, Connecticut. Still there, as far as I know. That was my first uh, my first real job. And um, I was carrying a woman's groceries out to her car, because we did stuff like that back in the day. And uh, a sports car, I forget what kind of sports car, pulled up alongside of the road, Route 128. Window rolled down, passenger side. And somebody said, hey, can you tell me where there's a hardware store? And so I turned with the grocery bags in my hand. I turned and I bent down to look in the car to answer whoever this was. And there at the driver's seat was that guy. It was Paul freaking Newman, who I instantly recognized. And the look on my face must have given away my shock. (laughs) Uh, I was like, um, 
and then suddenly my brain kicked back into gear and I said, go through the covered bridge, take a left down Route 7 into Cornwall Bridge, and you'll find a hardware store there. And he kind of looked over at me and gave me a wink and said, thank you very much. And off he took. That was my Paul Newman story. It was it was amazing. <laughs> he was that smile. I'll tell you when the, the wink and that smile. Absolutely killer, killer. I think I was probably like uh, 17 or 18 years old at the time. Yeah. Which would have been like 19 mid 1970s. So incredible. Absolutely incredible. Mr. Paul Newman. Wow. What a guy. Fantastic. All right. Uh, what else we got happening here? We got lots going on, but it is time to get to our book, actually. Uh, we read books on this show, if you didn't know that already, and we've been doing The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. We've done a ton of them. We did The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Winnie the Pooh, you name it. We've done tons of them. You can go all the way back on, on our Rumble.com page. You can check out all the end of every show. Uh, almost every show, we read a chapter or have part of a chapter of a famous classic book. Right now, we're in the middle of doing Sherlock Holmes, and each chapter is a new adventure, and we've been on this story of the five pips here for a while, and we've just discovered what the initials KKK stand for. Uh, in this way, you see, the KKK ceases to be the initials of a person and becomes the badge of a society. So uh, Watson says, but what society? And Sherlock Holmes, bending forward and sinking in his voice, said, have you never heard of the Ku Klux Klan? I never have. Well, Holmes turned over the leaves of his book upon his knee. Here it is, he said, presently. Ku Klux Klan a name derived from the fanciful resemblance to the sound produced by the cocking of a rifle. This terrible secret society formed by some ex-Confederate soldiers in the southern states after the Civil War, and it rapidly formed local branches in different parts of the country, notably in Tennessee, Louisiana, the Carolinas, Georgia, and Florida. Its power was used for political purposes, principally for the terrorizing of the Negro voters and the murdering and driving from the country of those who were opposed to its views. It out, its outrages were usually preceded by a warning sent to the marked man in some fantastic but generally recognized shape. A sprig of oak leaves in some parts, melon seeds, or orange pips in others. On receiving this, the victim might either openly abjure his former ways or might fly from the country. If he braved the matter out, death would unflailingly come upon him, and usually in some strange and unforeseen manner. So perfect was the organization of this society and so systematic its methods that there is hardly a case upon record where any man succeeded in braving it with impunity or in which any of its out outrages were traced home to the perpetrators. For some years, the organization flourished in spite of the efforts of the United States government and of the better classes of the community in the South. Eventually, in the year 1869, the movement rather suddenly collapsed, although there have been sporadic outbreaks of the same sort 
since that date. You will observe, said Holmes, laying down the volume, that the sudden breaking up of the society was coincident with the disappearance of Openshaw from America, with their papers. It may well have been the cause and effect. It is no wonder that he and his family have some of the more implacable spirits upon their track. You can understand that this register and diary may implicate some of the first men in the South, and that there may be many who will not sleep easy at night until it's recovered. Then, the page we've seen is such as we might expect. It ran, if I remember right, sent the pips to A, B, and C. That is, sent the society's warning to them. Then there were successive entries that A and B cleared or left the country. And finally that C was visited, with, I fear, a sinister result for C. Well, I think, Doctor, that we may have let some light into this dark place, and I believe that the only chance young Openshaw has in the meantime is to do what I've told him. There's nothing more to be said or to be done tonight, so hand me over my violin. Let us try to forget for a half an hour the miserable weather and the still more miserable ways of our fellow men. It had cleared in the morning, and the sun was shining, with a subtle brightness through the dim veil which hangs over the great city. Sherlock Holmes was already at breakfast when I came down. You will excuse me for not waiting for you, said he. I have, I foresee, a very busy day before me in looking into the case of young Openshaws. What steps will you take? I asked. It'll be very much dependent upon the results of my first inquiries. I may have to go down to Horsham after all. You will not go there first? No, I shall commence with the city. Just ring the bell and the maid will bring up your coffee. As I waited, I lifted the unopened newspaper from the table and glanced my eye over it. I rested upon a headline which sent a chill to my heart. Holmes, I cried. You're too late. Ah, said he, laying down his cup. I feared as much. How was it done? He spoke calmly, but I could see that he was deeply moved. My eye caught the name of Openshaw and the heading, Tragedy Near Waterloo Bridge. Here is the account. Between nine and ten last night, Police Constable Cook of the H Division on duty near Waterloo Bridge heard a cry for help and a splash in the water. That night, however, was extremely dark and stormy, so that, in spite of the help of several passers-by, it was quite impossible to effect a rescue. The alarm, however, was given, and by the aid of the water police, the body was eventually recovered. It proved to be that of a young gentleman whose name, as it appears from an envelope which was found in his pocket, was John Openshaw, and whose residence is near Horsham. It is conjectured that he may have been hurrying down to catch the last train from Waterloo Station, and that in his haste and the extreme darkness he missed his path and walked over the edge of one of the small landing places for river steamboats. The body exhibited no traces of violence, and there can be no doubt that the deceased had been the victim of an unfortunate accident, which should have the effect of calling the attention of the authorities 
to the condition of the riverside landing stages. We sat in silence for some minutes, Holmes more depressed and shaken than I have ever seen him. That hurts my pride, Watson, he said at last. It's a petty feeling, no doubt, but it hurts my pride. It becomes a personal matter to me now, and if God sends me health, I shall set my hand upon this gang. That he should come to me for help and that I should send him away to his death. He sprang from his chair, paced around the room in an uncontrollable agitation, with a flush upon his sallow cheeks and nervously clasping and unclasping his long, thin hands. They must be cunning devils, he exclaimed at last. How could they have decoyed him down there? The embankment is not on the direct line to the station. The bridge, no doubt, was too crowded, even on such a night, for their purpose. Well, Watson, we shall see who will win in the long run. I'm going out now. To the police? No, I shall be my own police. When I've spun the web, they may take the flies, but not before. All day I was engaged in my professional work and it was late in the evening before I returned to Baker Street. Sherlock Holmes had not come back yet. It was nearly ten o'clock before he entered, looking pale and worn. He walked up to the sideboard. Tearing a piece from the loaf, he devoured it voraciously, washing it down with a long draught of water. "'You're hungry,' I remarked. "'Starving!' I had escaped my memory. I've nothing since breakfast. Nothing? Not a bite, and no time to think of it. And how have you succeeded? Well, you have a clue? I have them in the hollow of my hand. Young Openshaw shall not long remain unavenged. Why, Watson, let us put down their own devilish trademark upon them. It is well thought of. What do you mean? He took an orange from the cupboard, and tearing it to pieces, he squeezed out the pips upon the table. Of these, he took five, thrust them into an envelope. On the inside of the flap, he wrote S-H-4-J-O, and then he sealed it and addressed it to Captain James Calhoun, Bark Lone Star, Savannah, Georgia. That will await him when he enters port, he said, chuckling. It may give him a sleepless night. He'll find it as sure as a precursor of his fate, as Openshaw did before him. And who is this Captain Calhoun? The leader of the gang. I shall have the others but he first. How did you trace it then? He took a large sheet of paper from his pocket, all covered with dates and names. I've spent the whole day, said he, over Lloyd's registers and the files of the old papers, following the future career of every vessel which touched at Pondicherry in January and February of 83. There were 36 ships, of fair tonnage which were reported there during those months. 
Of these, one, the Lone Star, instantly attracted my attention, since although it was reported as having cleared from London, the name that is that which is given to one of the states of the Union. Texas, I think. It was not, and I'm not sure which, but I knew that the ship must have an American origin. What then? I searched the Dundee records, and when I found the bark Lone Star was there in January 85, my suspicion became a certainty. I then inquired as to the vessels which lay at present in the port of London. Yes, the Lone Star had arrived there last week. I went down to the Albert Dock and found that she'd been taken down the river by the early tide this morning, homeward bound to Savannah. I wired to Gravesend, learned that she had passed some time ago, and that the wind is easterly. I have no doubt that she is now past the Goodwins, and not very far from the Isle of, R of Wight. What will you do then? Oh, I have my hand upon him. He and the two mates are, as I learn, the only native-born Americans in the ship. The others are Finns and Germans. I know also that they are all three away from the ship last night. I had it from the stevedore who had been loading the cargo. By the time their sailing ship reaches Savannah, the mail boat will have carried this letter, and the cable will have informed the police of Savannah that these three gentlemen are badly wanted here upon the charge of murder. And that's where we will leave this. Coming up on Saturday night, we will finish up the story of the mystery of the five pips from the amazing adventures of Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> cool beans. All right, that's going to do it for tonight. Thanks so much for listening in on the podcast and on our live stream. Facebook, sorry, don't know what happened, but, you know, Facebook is what it is. I'm seriously considering just dumping Facebook, and then I'll just post the videos there afterwards. You can always find us on rumble.com. Check us out. The link is in our show notes tonight. That's the description down below. You'll always find us, of course, on twitch.tv and or on YouTube also for now. So uh, be sure and check that out if you can. And I uh, will see you again Saturday night. Till then, this is the Jay Sheldon Show. I'm Jay Sheldon. Good night. Ha, ha, ha.